0: This morning, um, it's our privilege to have Dr. Tim Brown with us from Western Theological Seminary, but it's our tradition to stand for the reading of God's word. Our word, the word comes this morning from 2 Corinthians, and Elena Lekakirk has, uh, willingly accepted the challenge to read for us. So would you please stand to your feet? Again, the word of God is central to this community of faith, to our lives, and so, um, Elena, when you're ready, would you read to us from 2 Corinthians 5? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Thank you, Elena. You may be seated. So Dr. Tim Brown is the president of Western Theological Seminary. He's been coming to Twin Falls um, about once a year to just bless us and challenge us and encourage us. So would you help me welcome Dr. Tim Brown? Thank you. Thank you very much. It is—it's uh, really a pleasure to be back. You know, when you when you speak in as many places as I do in the course of a year, you you collect some really wonderful introductions. That was a good one. But I'll, I'll, can I reintroduce myself with my favorite introduction of all time? Yes. Okay. Thank you. So I. This is some years ago when my my son, John, had graduated from Holland High School, and his best friend, a kid named Ryan Tannis, graduated from Holland Christian High School. I happened to be the commencement speaker for both high schools in the same year, and Ryan, who was a childhood friend, introduced me. Best introduction I ever had. I want to I show you what it was like. He stood to the podium like this, he was scared stiff. He grabbed hold of it like it was going to run away. And he said, I'd like to introduce to you Dr. Timothy Brown. When he graduated from high school in 1969, he turned down a lucrative contract to play baseball for the Detroit Tigers so that he could accept a full-ride scholarship to play football for Bo Schembechler at the University of Michigan. Well, so as he's doing this, everybody's jaw was dropping. They did not know that was true of me. I did not know that was true of me. <laughs> and anyway, he continued, well, that's at least how he'd like me to introduce him. But what I want to say is he, he was my pastor and he'll always be my friend, Dr. Timothy Brown. I loved it. I started crying Well, coming out to uh, Twin Falls, as I have so many years now, um, it feels like we become friends, and I'm so grateful. It's a a wonderful dynamic that happens. You begin to feel like you have the right to preach to a people like a pastor. I know I'm not your pastor, but I feel like I have the right to speak to you heart to heart. And and that's what I want to do this morning. So piggybacking on that great reading... um, Let's just remember it again, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that the Apostle Paul is operating on three basic assumptions. The first one, there is a condition, an experience in the human life that is so discontiguous from anything that has gone before it that it can only be called a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. That's the first assumption. Here's the second one, that that this experience of being made new does not come at the end of a series of personal resolutions and exercises to make yourself that. It comes holy as a gift from Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. You're made new in Jesus, or you're not made new at all. Here's the third conviction. That for the person made new in Christ, there is a responsibility given to them to participate with God in what God is doing in the world. So Paul says, all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Don't know why it is, but for some reason, the God of the universe needs people like you and me to get his work done in local places like Twin Falls, Okay, those are the three basic assumptions. Now what I'm gonna do is do something that biblical interpreters have been doing for a long time. Look at an Old Testament passage through the lens of Paul's thinking in 2 Corinthians. So what I'm gonna do now is tell you a story. Um, It's in the Bible, every last word of it is in the Bible. If you recognize where it is in the Bible, resist the urge to find it and follow along. Just let the word wash over you like a wave, like a tidal wave. Are you ready? In the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles along the river Chibar, the heavens opened, and I saw visions of God. It was on the fifth day of the month, in the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, that the word of the Lord came to the priest Ezekiel, son of Buzi, along the river Kaibar. And the hand of the Lord came upon me, and he lifted me up and set me down in the midst of a deep valley filled with bones. And the bones were very dry. He led me all around them, and he said to me, Mortal, can these bones live again? I said, Lord you know. He said to me, prophesy mortal, prophesy to these dry bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall become a living being. So I I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, I heard a rattling of bones, bones coming together, bone upon bone. And I looked, and there was sinew on them, and they were covered with flesh, and skin came upon them, but there was no breath in them. Then the Lord said to me, prophesy mortal to the four winds and say to them, oh four winds, come and enter these that they may live. And I prophesied as I was commanded and the wind entered them and they became living beings and they stood upon the earth a vast multitude. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord thanks be to God. Uh, is anyone else excited? I mean, that is an amazing story. What I want to do, and I, I promise I won't take a long time, but enough time uh, to say something that I think is obviously true, and then to line out three things that I think are inconveniently true. And here's the thing that is obviously true. Buckle your seatbelts. God can raise life out of death. Thank you for that. God can raise life out of death. There is nothing impossible for God to do. And it's clear that this is the whole point of the story. Mortal, can these bones live? Lord, you know. Prophesy to them and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel prophesies. And when he prophesies, the life enters the dead bones. God can raise the dead. Thank you for that. God can raise the dead. And he's done it before. Do you remember, do you remember the name of Lazarus? Lazarus was dead, had been dead for four days, and Jesus came to the tomb at Bethany, and he said, roll away the stone. Martha objected, saying, Lord, my brother's been in there for four days. There'll be a very great odor. Jesus said, Martha, I told you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. Roll away the stone. And when the stone was rolled away, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man, wrapped in grave clothing with a grave cloth on his head, came forth. And had Jesus not said, Lazarus, come forth, just come forth, every grave would have been open. They all would have looked for the opportunity to come alive again. God can raise the dead. And that can happen here as well as it can happen there. I'm pretty good at this. I'm just going to look around a minute and see if I can sense anything dying inside of someone. Yeah, I think I can. There is actually some pain in this room, there is a sense of despair in someone. It doesn't have to be that way because God in Christ can raise the dead. Do you know the name of C.S. Lewis? You've heard this before. C.S. Lewis once wrote in a marvelous essay called The Weight of Glory, Jesus Christ intends to make the feeblest and the filthiest of us into dazzling, rippling, immortal creatures pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love, which we now can scarcely imagine. The process will be long and at times painful, but that's what we're in for. That's what he said and he meant it. God can raise life out of death. And you say to me, Amen. Um, You know, I've been a teacher in a seminary for a long time, but before that I was the pastor of a congregation in Holland, Michigan for several years. Um, There was a member of the congregation who was uh, a husband and a wife, and they were both professors at Hope College. And I don't, I don't know if you understand this about young people when they go off to get PhDs. That's a long, arduous battle to get that degree. And it kept them postponing the issue of family. They wanted a family, but it just wasn't the right time for them. When they finally got their degrees, they had been tenured at the college, they turned their hearts toward home and attempted to start a family. Only discover that they were biologically incapable of bearing children. It was so discouraging. I remembered meeting them in my office and weeping with them. They wanted a baby so bad Finally they decided okay we'll adopt. By this time they were in their 40s and they were low person on the totem pole for an adoption. An adoption agency in Grand Rapids called them and said yes we will give you a child if you're willing to take a 12-year-old from China. I can remember them flying off to China so excited to get their daughter. She came home with them, and I was among a group of people who were there at the airport to greet them. I can still see the husband coming off the plane looking like an Auschwitz survivor. He was so dragged out and tired. He came right to me, and he said, Tim, she doesn't speak a word of English. A couple days later, I was in my office at the seminary, and they brought her to me. They figured because they had heard me quote a Greek or Hebrew word in a sermon, I could speak every language on the planet. They said, here, you speak to her. I can remember sitting there, standing there, this poor little girl uh, in the doorway of my office. I must have looked to her like... Sasquatch or the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. She was just trembling, but she was holding a packet in a black leather-bound binding like this. And we were given these aborted attempts at saying hello. I said to her, hello, thinking that that might be interpreted. <laughs> Nothing worked. But then finally, I thought I th- saw that the book was pulsing i went out on a limb i said to her jesus i said jesus and her eyes lit up like a christmas tree she grabbed a piece of paper and she started drawing a little bitty baby in what looked like an acorn and i said jesus and then she started drawing stick figures, one much larger than all the others. And I said, Jesus? She got excited, she started drawing another picture. She drew three crosses, one in the middle larger than the others. I'm onto it now, I said, Jesus. She turned it and, the page and then she drew a person lying on a bled, a bed and she took a black marker and colored it over with a, like a canopy of death. I said, Jesus. And then she did a remarkable thing. She took her marker and started drawing what looked like lightning bolts coming out of the dead body. And I said, Jesus. But she didn't like her artwork, so she took her fingers like this and went... And I said, Jesus, what is she telling us? She's telling us that in Jesus Christ, there is life prophesy to these bones, mortal, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord, and they came alive. Get this, in Jesus Christ, life rises out of death. Thank you. In Jesus Christ, life rises out of death. And I happen to think that there is some kind of dying in Twin Falls that needs to come alive. And this is your moment. Jesus Christ raises the dead. Well, that's what is clearly true or obviously true. Now here are three things that are inconveniently true. And the first of them, the first thing that's inconveniently true is that in order for life to come out of death, you're going to have to be willing to admit where you are, and what the circumstances are. Did you see that in, the, in, the, in the Jeremiah 37, or actually it was Jeremiah 1? The prophet tells us where they are in the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles along the river Kaibar. You know the history of Israel. They'd been overtaken by Persia. They'd been carted off into exile, and that's where they are. The coordinates of God's activity is always on the corner of death and despair. God's best work happens when we're in exile. And what's inconveniently true about that is you have to admit it. You have to be willing to admit that you are powerless to come alive in yourself and willing then to turn yourself to one who can make you alive, Jesus Christ. The reason we're given such detail about where the people of God are is so that we recognize that we have to acknowledge where we are desperately in need of Jesus Christ. I've just told you I was a pastor for a long time before I was a teacher. And in my church, there was this wonderful small group of people who struggled desperately with a whole range of mental disorders, many of them paranoid, schizophrenic, bipolar, all of them in desperate need of medication and love because I was their pastor and they liked me so much, they would invite me to their gathering. It was called Dynamics and Living. It was a little bit like going to a 12-step meeting. We would sit down in a circle. I remember the first time I was there, the person next to me, whose name was Stu, an absolutely delightful man who was riddled all his life with a deep anxiety disorder. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm Stu. I, I suffer from anxiety disorder and then he went on to tell the drug that he took. Next person admitted what they were struggling with and the drug that they took. They went all the way around the circle until finally they came to me, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh. So I said, hi, my name is Tim. I haven't been diagnosed yet, but I know I need something really bad. Oh, hi, Tim. We'll help you. The beautiful thing is when you admit what you struggle with, you identify where you are. God does his best work. It's inconveniently true, but it's necessarily true. That's the first inconvenient thing. Here's the second inconvenient thing. If you're going to participate with God in what God is doing in the world, you're going to have to be willing, this is hard, you're going to have to be willing to be still enough and silent enough to actually hear God speaking One of the difficulties of our culture is there's so few places where it's quiet. Every intersection is honking noise. Every restaurant has music blaring. Everybody wears earbuds and listening to something else when God is actually calling us to be silent. Be still, says the psalmist, and know that I am God. Silence, quietness inside is a prerequisite to hearing God. Does anybody know the name of Shel Silverstein? Shel Silverstein? Oh, come on. Somebody knows Shel Silverstein? Oh, sure you do. He's a wonderful poet. He's written all kinds of poems that I love, and the one I love the most is called Noise Day. Can I share it with you? Here it is. Let there be one day for girls and for boyses when they can make the grandest noises. Screech, scream, holler, and yell, Buzz a buzzer, clang a bell. Try to bounce a bowling ball. Ride a skateboard up a wall. Eat your food with a chomp and a slurp. Chomp, chew, hiccup, and burp. On one day, do all of these. And the rest of the days, let there be silence, please. Silence is golden for a reason. That's the second inconvenient thing. You have to be willing to quiet yourself before God. Jesus' brother James, who ought to know Jesus' heart, if anybody does, once said, be slow to speak and quick to listen. That's the second inconvenient thing. But here's the third inconvenient thing. If you're going to participate with God in what God is calling us to do you are going to have to be willing to speak up, speak out for the living God to participate with him you have to speak of him didn't jesus say to his disciples all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations when god does what god does in the world for whatever reason he has chosen to do it through you god's fingertips In Twin Falls, God's voice in Twin Falls sounds eerily like you because God is choosing us. Prophesy, mortal. You prophesy, Ezekiel says. No, you prophesy because it's your voice that I want to utilize in my work. You have a responsibility in the name of Jesus to speak of Jesus wherever you are because that's how people come to know Jesus. Am I making myself clear? Is anybody feeling a little pressure right now? I would think so. God uses ordinary people like you and me to do his work. So we probably just ought to get up and go. But let me, let me just point out one more thing and that is, well, I think I've pointed up already that God uses people like you and me. Um, Andrew, when he was talking, he mentioned the fact that he spent part of his childhood in South Holland, Illinois. Part of that childhood, I spent with him. I wasn't the child, he was. But his father, David and I were co-pastors of the same congregation. I loved the First Reformed Church of South Holland, situated on the Calumet River about 20 miles south of the loop in Chicago. In that congregation was a member of the royal family. I don't mean the British royal family. I mean the royal family of the Reformed Church in America. Her name was Cornelia Dahlenberg. Cornelia graduated from the University of Chicago with a medical degree in the early 20s. Having been medically trained, she offered herself to the mission of the Reformed Church in America, and she found herself in the Middle East for the rest of her life. The Muslim people in Oman and Kuwait, the places where she lived, loved Cornelia Dahlenberg. They didn't like her name, however, so they changed it from Cornelia to Sharifa, which meant princess. She was royal, to be sure. Well, at one point during my years as the pastor, Cornelia had to undergo a very serious abdominal surgery as as an old woman. So I made it my Great delight to weave my way through rush hour traffic on the Dan Ryan to go to St. Luke's Rush Presbyterian Hospital up to the 11th floor to the medical surgical suite to visit Cornelia. I want you to come with me to one of those visits. I walked into the room. Cornelia was sleeping. I didn't want to interrupt her rest, so I just stood there quietly waiting for her to awake. She didn't, so I finally took my hand and held hers. She opened one eye like this and saw it was me and closed it again. There was several minutes of silence until she broke the silence, and Cornelia Dahlenberg said to me, Good morning, Pastor. Good morning, Pastor. Good morning, Pastor, from the lips of Cornelia Dahlenberg, sounded like a symphony in my ears. Good morning, Pastor. I was her pastor. And then she said to me, Pastor, I, I saw Jesus this morning. Now, Cornelia Dahlenberg is a sober woman. If she said she saw Jesus, she saw Jesus. So here's my chance. I said to her, Cornelia, what did he look like? Cornelia Dahlenberg went on to describe in careful detail the physical appearance of Jesus of Nazareth. Would you like to know what he looked like? Here's what Cornelia said. Pastor, he had dark, deep-set eyes. I thought, of course, every Galilean I've ever met has dark, deep-set eyes. And then she said, he had Long, tapered fingers tender to the touch I thought of course he was the great physician he would have the fingertips of a surgeon then, then she said to me he had his brow was uh, furrowed and he was perspiring and I thought of course the weight of the universe on his shoulder he would be perspiring and have a furrowed brow then she said to me he, he wore spectacles and had a little green skull cap on and a stethoscope around his neck. I said, Cornelia, you're describing your physician to me. She said, I know. This is how Jesus came to me today. What was she telling us? She was telling us that Christ Christ, plays in 10,000 places, lovely in eyes, lovely in limbs, not his. Jesus Christ shows up in local addresses using you because you are his chosen instruments to do his work in the world. Do I have to say more? No, I didn't think so. I think I'll end right there. Jesus Christ intends to use the Twin Falls Reformed Church and all of the people inside it to do his reconciling work here and now, and now it's time to go. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we want desperately to be your servants here and everywhere and I ask, Lord, that you would use us all to the praise of Christ's glory, in whose name we pray. Amen. It's a, that was a great word from Dr. Tim Brown. Will you please thank him for me? And I do, I, I find that message um, really, really timely for us. God, Jesus wants to bring life from death here. And he's calling us to be a part of it. And do we have ears to hear that call? Uh, Receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.